This episode is sponsored by Big Fish Bail Bonds. Big Fish Bail Bonds is your first choice in bondsmen. We are located three blocks away from the Sedgwick County Jail in Wichita, Kansas. We accept all major credit cards and we accept payment plans on big bonds with no collateral in some cases. Find us at bigfishbailbonds.us or give us a call at 316-262-4100. Big Fish Bail Bonds. Big or small, we release them all. Messages from the public. I listened to your interview with Rebecca. The district attorney in Hugoton is Paul Kitsk. He is a mutual friend on Facebook. I tagged him in the comments of this episode. Hopefully he hears her story and does his job. Hugoton police are corrupt. Trust me, you will have a terrible time getting anywhere with them. I hope the best for those boys. I've been listening to your podcast for the last few weeks. Interesting stuff you have found. In the John Rich episode I felt it was weird that he took $10,000 out of the bank a few days before he died and the police took a envelope. Hey, Derek. God's work is never easy and it's times like this when the devil attacks. You are making the right people upset. If you really want to do this, then you have to talk about Ty Markart. When will there be an episode on his story? Keep it up. Back Home Media Like you guys 
are supposed to be doing a welfare check, but I told you the boys were at the school. And they're like, we're just trying to get some information. Well, the guy that was on the phone that had come up there, he just seemed mm, argumentative or ready to say how he was right. So he went all the way back to September 8th when Jerry and Daniel told me that Tammy had abused them. And I called the police department because I knew that step. You call the police department, you record everything. So I called the police department, told the boys what I was doing, told them that's the steps we have to take to protect you. It might be a little bit scary at first, but you have to always tell the truth. So I called the police, started recording the boys. Um, the police show up, and in our interview, I told you all of this. And when the police officer said, well, you have that podcast, Rodney told me about it. I thought, oh, this is about the podcast. This is not a welfare check. So he came to the house. Two officers came to the house and started basically interrogating me on my front porch on Friday about the podcast. And he said, did they tell you that they couldn't file the report because they didn't see blood or mark or what? And I said, sir, when the female officer came into the house, she said she did not see blood or mark. They could not file a report for child abuse, and he said, well, I'm going to talk to her. I said, okay. I said, and then they asked me where the abuse happened, and I said they were with their father in Hugerton, Kansas. And he said, oh, for sure we cannot file a report because it didn't happen here, so you're going to have to contact the county in which it happened. And that's what happened way back on September 8th. And apparently they didn't keep record of it because they asked me to repeat every single thing that happened on that day. And then they started asking more questions and more questions. And I said, what, are you asking all these questions so you can talk to Rodney? Is that what we're doing? Because I thought this was a welfare check. Like, the boys are in school. If you want to check on them, he's like, well, you said they have concussions. I said, sir, they've had concussions since they got back from their dad. It's documented. It's in the medical record. And he said, so they have concussions today? Today. You're saying they have concussions today. And I said, yes, sir. They've had concussions since they got back. They're still following up with the neurologist. They still have swelling. They're still on medication. I don't know what else to tell you. But if this is a welfare check, I mean, I don't understand why you're not checking on the boys. But it feels more like you're just trying to get information to go back to Rodney. This does not feel like a welfare check. I've had Rodney call multiple times for a welfare check on the boys when the protective order had been filed. This is not a welfare check. A welfare check, they came to the house, knocked on the door, asked to see the boys, said, hey, you guys look okay, you're doing okay, have a nice day. We will tell their father that they are fine. That's a welfare check. What happened Friday was not. And while the officer was gone on the phone call, he came back and he said, I just talked to the Huguenin police officer, and he said that they're going to close the case because the district attorney doesn't think they have enough evidence. And I said, okay, I mean, what do you want me to do with that? So after they finally left, after about 20, 30 minutes, they left. I went to go get the boys from school, and I asked them. I was like, hey, did the school officer or counselor come check on you guys? And they're like, no, why? Just <laughs> They didn't even go check on them. So... If he really, truly called a welfare check, don't you think the children would have been 
looked in on or asked by the school officer if they were doing okay, if they were truly worried about their well-being. I mean, if a parent called me and I was an officer and a parent said, I just found out my kids were hurt, which is a lie, and we know that, but if a parent called me and I didn't know it was a lie and they said, I just found out my kid is hurt, would you please go check on them? My first instinct would be to go check on the child, but they were more interested in talking about the podcast and what went on rather than checking on the children. So either they lied about a welfare check and just wanted to interrogate me on the front porch, or he did call in a welfare check, and they still interrogated me on the front porch. And then uh, Rodney texted me at 6.23 approximately Friday evening after he found out that Hugerson was um, going to close the case. He sent me a message and said, hey, I'm waiting at the visitation spot. Um, are you bringing Jerry and Daniel, or are you guys running a little behind? In our agreed temporary orders, it states that Jerry and Daniel will remain with me until we have a final hearing for the custody that I filed with the child abuse being told to me by Jerry and Daniel. He has the same papers I do. He received them November 3rd when they were filed, and he still chose to send me that message stating that he was in Enid, Oklahoma, where we meet, waiting for visitation, which he knew wasn't supposed to happen, but he still did it anyway. That was a Friday. This is scary. He lives in Tulsa now, so when he lived in Houston, we were to meet in Enoch um, because I worked longer hours, and when you work as a nurse, you can't really just be like, hey, I gotta go. He worked as a dispatcher for Seaboard, so in the beginning, we would meet at 7 p.m., which was good because Jerry and Daniel got their tutoring after school. The judge changed the time to 6 p.m., so that was a little more difficult to get the boys there. So usually I was 10 or 15 minutes after 6. But anyway, he was sitting in Enid sending me a message asking me if we're going to be late. So you're telling me he drove from Tulsa, Oklahoma to Enid, Oklahoma just to make a point? Or maybe he didn't, and maybe he was just sending a text message because he could. I don't know. I mean, if you had agreed temporary orders that said you only got a phone call once a week until the final hearing, and then Hugerton says that they are not going to do anything further, would you just start the harassment that day? And do you not think about the children? Do you not think about their safety? Do you not think about their well-being? Do you not think about any part of that? I know it's all about you, but just for two seconds, could you stop and think about the kids? They don't feel safe. They're afraid. I mean, you're not asking about them going to counseling. You're not asking about... I mean, he hasn't... Ever since November 15th, the protective order was dismissed in Oklahoma because the judge said the custody agreement takes precedent. And they wanted the protective orders dropped so Tammy could have her weapons so she could work in law enforcement. In Oklahoma? Yes. They were very confident that there would be no charges, that she has already come to Oklahoma to work in law enforcement. So that's exactly what they told me is she needs that protective order dropped so she can have her weapons back so she can do her job. What do you feel like being said to you by 
everybody in charge right now. I can see how people can quickly get the feeling of hopelessness on every turn we've made. I, I didn't know how to do all of this, you know, and people say, you've only got one life to live. Uh, make it the best you can. And they say, you know, you can make mistakes, you can make failures, but you can get back up. You don't want to fail when it comes to your kids and their safety. You don't. You don't want to mess up. I didn't know how child abuse was prosecuted. I thought the boys would be the people that they would speak to and ask me and the boys, do you want to press charges? I thought that's how it went. I didn't know the district attorney could just be like, ah, I don't think so. I didn't even know that was a thing. So for me to not know that, you kind of feel like a failure because it's like, well, I could have had my attorney and the hospital send all that information to his office. I didn't know that. I didn't know that was a thing. So you just feel like a jerk because you don't know stuff until it's already happened. So, I mean, my boys told me what happened. I told them, you know, got to be telling the truth. I am. Okay. Well, I'm going to fight for you as much as I can, whatever whatever it takes. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to fight because we don't, we don't want to be hurt anymore. People that care about me are worried about this last string of episodes I've released. But the thing is, and how I kind of make make my make it make sense for me is I don't feel like me as a as a podcast host. I don't feel like I don't feel like I'm the voice of the shows I do. I feel like I'm just providing a microphone to others to tell their story. So for me, it's really easy to. I'm literally just the messenger, and sometimes the messenger gets killed, um, obviously. You know, like, I, I'm not lost on the fact that people are upset that I'm releasing this audio. At the end of the day, I'm not saying anything about anybody. I'm literally just providing you a microphone. But you have two children that you're trying to protect, and at the end of the day, this this podcast is, nothing compared to you losing your children. So I guess my, my question is, is, do you feel like you're playing with fire in the sense, should we stop? Uh, I don't think telling the truth should ever stop. Yes, there are people that are going to want to say it didn't happen. There are people that are going to want to make Jerry and Daniel be quiet. But if I don't teach them to speak up and fight for the truth, what am I teaching them? Like, I have two sons, six and eight, and on Friday, the school called me and said that a kid had punched my son in the face, and he's had a bully for, like, a month. And I made it made, make sense in my head for about two minutes that I was going to find out who the boy's dad was and beat him up. And then about two minutes later, I was like, that's dumb. <laughs> you know, like, that's, that's dumb. But I understand what it's like. When someone messes with your child, I yeah. mean, you touch my kid, and I I get very mama bear, carnal, angry. I will do something that could potentially be bad if you're, if you're messing with my kids. So, like, so like to me, when I see you telling your story, I do see people that are just like, wow, that's a, that's really, you know, she's saying a lot of things that, you know, the truth always, the truth hurts, you know. She's saying a lot of truth. But I'm just like anybody that can listen to your story that has kids and and not and not be you know sick to their stomach listening to the story. Like I, 
And I don't think there's many people that aren't sick to their stomach listening to this story. And I was kind of telling you, you know, the, the outro of, of this of all my podcasts I do, the, the chorus, the lyrics are if the crown fits where it. And I chose that for a reason because I feel like in these situations, like my podcast offends people, but the only people my podcast offends are people that either have something to hide or they're upset that I'm shining a light on something that they did that was shitty. As far as people hating on the podcast itself, it's the only people that hate my show are people that are embarrassed by the information that's put out there. These boys are more precious than, I mean, I had cervical cancer in 2007. They removed my cervix. They said, no more babies. I said, you got it. Not going to happen. Anyway, I couldn't carry the babies. I got pregnant in 2010 and had Jerry. My cervix grew back. Then I got pregnant with Daniel and had Daniel. And then because of the damage, I had to have my female parts removed. So those two boys are miracles in themselves. And you know when miracle babies happen, I always think about this happening right now because I know what it took for those boys to have life. So they came through something they shouldn't have in their life today. So when darkness wants to take over miracles, it will fight do that and I mean people can believe in God or not believe in God but if you understood how they came into this world you would understand that something is fighting against them and I will fight with my life and everything I have to keep them safe so if the police officers want to come and interrogate me on my front porch I will make it through all of that for them because at the end of the day these boys are going to grow up and they already know the truth they know what happened to them they know who has protected them they know who has called them liars they know who has told them oh that was a good story and they know and when they say prayers every night they pray that they stay away from them and they don't get hurt anymore and if you listen to them pray every night like that you would do everything you could to keep them safe because you know a little kid does not pray that every night on a lie. They don't. So I'll do whatever it takes. Some listeners were proactive, and I guess the, the DA in Houston is a guy named Paul. Mm-hmm. Paul Kitsky. Paul Kitsky, yeah. And so a friend of ours, we'll leave his name out of it, but he... uh you probably saw it. He tagged Paul in a link to the show. And I think that it's really going to take that. Like, it's going to take, like, this has been downloaded hundreds of times. Your, your episode has been downloaded hundreds of times already. And those, everybody that's listened to it is awesome. And, you know, we appreciate them listening to your story. But we're just looking for, like, two or three people to hear it. You know, like, there's, and I, I, I have faith that there's two or three people in that area of the country that if they heard this, they could help you. And that's just like what I'm hoping and praying and believing for is that, you know, it's great that a lot of people have downloaded the show so far, but I need the right people to download it. You know what I mean? Like we need that, even just right. one person that can unlock some doors for you because you're, the thing is, is you're not the only mother dealing with this issue in Kansas. So 
the the more people who are dealing with this stuff that aren't getting any answers in the same area that hear your story. And, you know, there's strength in numbers. And I assure you there's, there's somebody in that area that's working on fighting this, and you should find them. That's what I believe is going to happen, I do. Because as you're of right now, As of right now, the boys are safe. Like, how long are they safe for? Like, realistically, how long until the police are going to force you to uh, we have to have a final hearing because at the same time I filed the protective order, um, I had hired an attorney in Kansas and hired an attorney in Oklahoma. Um, a motion in Kansas was filed for me to have emergency custody, and then they asked me, you know, what, what are you looking for? And I said, well, number one, I want Tammy prosecuted for child abuse and Rodney for neglect. They were in his care. And because of that text message he sent me that said she's just playing, he needs to be educated on what is playing and what is child abuse. Um, if there was education to him, supervised visits where the children feel safe, absolutely. Um, there's going to have to be some healing done because... They don't want to talk to him or her. They don't want to see him or her because, number one, they were abused, and their dad didn't save them. Number two, he said he doesn't know what they're talking about. And that's the things that the Kansas attorney was saying is, you know, if they would even say they're getting help, they're getting education, they're getting parenting classes, they're getting this, they're getting that. None of that was offered. None of that was done. They just said it was a lie. They said they didn't do it. There's nothing being done for the safety of Jerry and Daniel. They're just saying that I'm filling their heads full of it, and they're lying about it. Has anybody mentioned anything about the podcast being illegal? Uh, no. You could just tell that officer from Glenpool was shit. And I didn't really even think about it. I thought he was pissed because Rodney called him and told him about it, thinking maybe he was thinking it was illegal. But then the more I thought about it, I was like, oh, I bet he's pissed off because I said that Glenn Poole did not file a report. It makes sense that way is he's pissed off because that's his police department. And I wasn't even uh, speaking of them. That was just the chain of events that happened. So for them to come to Officer Strong and just stand there and drill me and interrogate me on my front porch, I thought, this is a little over the top for child welfare. Why wouldn't you go to the school and check on the kid? And then when he kept saying, oh, they still have concussions, they've had concussions, and I'm like, yes. Well, why is he asking me all the But it didn't make sense until later when I thought, oh, he seemed to be so upset that I believe maybe Glenpool should have filed a report because the children told them they were abused and they should have had it on record. So maybe that's why he was so pissed off. And that's just my opinion. I'm just guessing from the way he was talking down to me, he was pretty angry. And you also have to take consideration that he probably didn't hear the show. He probably heard it secondhand from either Rodney or Tammy, and who knows how they portrayed what, how the show, I mean, they could have, all, all that officer could have said was, 
all the officer could have been told is she told on a podcast that got downloaded by a bunch of people that you guys, she recorded child abuse and you guys didn't do shit about it. I mean, what? the way was, I, I guarantee you the cops didn't listen to the episode. They, they, they had, the only thing they know about that episode is what they were told by whoever sent them. So I have to wonder how, how you were representing as far as them listening to what you said versus them being told by somebody you were talking about. Yeah, and that's why, I mean, that wasn't the point of me speaking to you. That's why I didn't understand that then, you know, after you sit on things people say for a while, you're like, oh, there's like some ownership there, some guilt there. There's some kind of emotion there. Again, yeah, the only people that are upset about the audio are people that look bad at the end of it. And, and that's the thing, though, like, I, honestly, I'll be honest with you. When you brought that up, that kind of threw me for a loop because I didn't even feel like you were upset with them. When you, when I thought that they really out, couldn't do it. Honestly, whenever we put that audio out, like you mentioned that, and I had no malice towards it. I didn't get a single email about how dare they not file it. I mean, everybody pretty much bought the whole, we can't do it because we can't do it. I bought that. Everybody bought it. No, I think, um, in my opinion, Glenn Poole, I feel like they did what they could, and I feel like their involvement with the podcast I, I just has to be a watered-down, hysterical version of what you said that was repeated to them over the phone, rather than them listening to what you said. So, like, yeah, because, like, again, I didn't have any... When, I, when you told me a story, I didn't look at them as a bad people at all. Well, even... I mean, those three officers that showed up in the house, the first one was female, which I figured, you know, they probably sent her in first so the kids would feel more calm. And then two male officers came in. And the one male officer told me, tell the father that this is happening and it needs to stop. So I did. And that's when he responded with, she's just playing. So that actually was beneficial because it did show that he acknowledged it. It showed that he knew it was happening and he didn't think much of it. So I I didn't think anything bad against them. They just gave me all the information they could. I mean, they're the ones that told me to contact the county in which it happened, to file a report, to go to the hospital, to have them evaluated, and to send that message to their dad. So, I mean, they at least gave me the steps to take to do what was best to protect the boys, and that's what I did, exactly what they said. Well, I don't think it, I thought it, that's different. I said what I said and I meant it, or lamented. Words given weight without thought in a person, the way that I talk and the way that I ought to be able to pause and to say that the fault can be placed on my arm to this playful assault, to this race and this arm. Pray for the day they could wait for the calm. You can't control the storm, only weather it, weather it. Five weeks and five days of rain sideways, a scorched earth search for death or water left with all the thorns when the petals gone, settle on the breath of autumn. If the ground fits, wear it. The crown